Good morning. I trust by now you have your outlines for our lesson. As Ryan mentioned, as, as I mentioned last Sunday, we are going to start today a series on heaven. Last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And we said that he rose from the dead so that he could rise into heaven and take his place at the right hand of God. And we considered some of the things that Jesus is doing now in heaven. One of the reasons he said he must leave and go is so that he could prepare a place for us. And so we want to spend a few weeks talking about that place. Now I want to begin my thoughts with a true story. It took place in Charlotte, North Carolina in January of 2000. Leaders of the city invited their favorite son, Dr. Billy Graham, to a luncheon in his honor. Dr. Graham initially declined the invitation because, as you know, he is dealing with frail health because of Parkinson's disease. But they let him know they really didn't want him to give a long talk, just to be honored and maybe to make a few remarks. And so he agreed to come. And many nice and deserving things were said about him. And then he stood up to make a few remarks. And he began by mentioning that the occasion reminded him of a story of Dr. Albert Einstein, who had recently been named Time Magazine's Man of the Century. Some years earlier, Dr. Einstein had gotten on a train in Princeton, New Jersey. The train pulled out of the track, and a few miles down the road, the conductor started making his way through the car to punch the tickets of the passengers. When he got to the great scientist, Dr. Einstein reached into the pocket of his vest and could not find his ticket. So he felt his pants pockets and could not find it. He looked in his briefcase and on the seat beside him and finally the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, that's okay. I know who you are. We all know who you are and I'm sure you bought a ticket. That's okay. And he went on down the road looking at uh, other passengers checking their tickets When he looked back, there was the great scientist. The old man was down on his hands and knees looking under his seat. And so the conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, that's okay, that's okay. I'm sure you bought a ticket. I know who you are. And the old scientist said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. There are three great questions in life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Now, secularism answers the first question, where did you come from, like this. You are sophisticated pond scum. You are a complex germ that evolved over billions of years. And if you accept that conclusion, it has disturbing uh, realities about the next two questions. If you're just a complex germ, then you have no real purpose for being here. And you go nowhere but into extinction when you die. Maybe you remember some years ago a popular sitcom called Murphy Brown about a wise-cracking journalist. Late in the series, she has a baby. And in one of the episodes, she begins to wonder if 
my baby asked me what happens when you die, what will I say? She had asked that question of her father when she was a little girl. And her father had said, when you pull the plug on the refrigerator, does it still keep running? And so she said she thought as a little girl that when you died, the Goodwill truck came and got you. And so she asked people in the sitcom, what happens when you die? She asked her colleague, the philanderer, Frank. And his answer depended on who he was dating at the time, whether they were a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Rafasterian. She asked Miles, her director, who was Jewish, and he replied, well, we don't really think about uh, the future we just concentrate on the here and now completely dissatisfied towards the end of the episode she goes home and there is Eldon the painter that always seemed to be at her house and she asked Eldon and Eldon said I do believe in immortality I believe we live on in what we create for me it's my art maybe you have something like that And this seemed to totally satisfy Murphy, and the episode ends, and there's Hollywood's answer. And I wanted to leap off the couch and say, that's not good enough. That's the best you can give me? A painting, a piece of land I developed, a house I built? That's my immortality? That's not enough. It's not enough for anybody. Anthropologists have yet to find a single culture, present or past, that has not believed in an afterlife. They might call it nirvana or they might call it the happy hunting ground. But there is something in the human spirit that refuses to believe I'm just a candle and when I'm snuffed out, I go into extinction. And there's a reason our spirit innately believes there must be an answer to the third question. And it's because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has planted eternity in the human heart. The Bible says you were made by God. That's where you came from. And the Bible says your purpose is to live for God. That's why you're here. And the Bible says when you die, you are going to meet God. Your destiny is an encounter with Him. We're all going from here to eternity. And that's why we're beginning this study of heaven. And whenever you begin a study of a subject in the Bible, the first thing you do is go to the Gospels and read the red words. Because you always start a study by asking, what did Jesus say? And the reason I believe Jesus has more weight to give on this subject than anybody else is because he has a reason to say he knows what he's talking about. You see, there's a lot of experts out there who want to answer the third question. But Jesus is the only one who's actually gone to the other side of the grave and come back to tell me what's next. There's a statue of Columbus in Valle de Spain, the city of his birth. 
You have a statue of the great explorer, and at the bottom are three Latin words with a lion eating the first word. The three Latin words are ne plus ultra, and it means no more beyond. For centuries, that was Spain's motto. For centuries, the Spanish believed they were the edge of the inhabited earth. There was no more beyond Spain. But in 1492, Columbus proved there was more beyond. And so the lion is eating the first word, no. Well, in the same way as Jesus rose on Easter Sunday and appeared, he was saying, there's more beyond. All men are going from here to eternity. Not everybody in his day believed that. He had secularists to deal with too. They were called Sadducees. They didn't believe when you died anything happened but extinction. They came up with a preposterous scenario one day. Was, a man gets married, they said. And it, he dies and the wife remarries and that man dies. And this happened seven times. So whose wife is, will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus would have none of such nonsense. And he shot right back. Look at his answer in Mark 12. Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham. The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. You see, Jesus gave two reasons why men can't answer the third question. Either they don't know the scriptures or they don't know the power of God. Now, Jesus knew both. And he strongly urged them. That men live this life in view of the next. That we look at life through the lens of eternity. We're always ready to value the eternal over the external. And so, for example, if following Jesus makes your life harder, it's worth it because of what comes next. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. And if following Jesus brings great joy. Remember one time he sent his disciples out on a mission. They came back and said, oh Jesus, it was awesome. We preached. We healed the sick. We cast out demons. We were doing it, man. Jesus said, Luke 10, 20. Don't rejoice just because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered as citizens of heaven. Maybe one of the best known things Jesus ever said was in Matthew 16. This is why you should look at life through the lens of eternity. Because he said, well, how do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see, Jesus did not preach the gospel of life enhancement. That was created by the American church. We preach a gospel of come to Jesus and we'll meet all your needs. 
We will teach you how to be consumers, and our job will be to try to keep you, the customer, happy. Jesus didn't preach that. Jesus did not guarantee that if you followed him, you would have an easy life. He guaranteed the next life. And he said, you're going from here to eternity. So you need to live like it. This could be an entire series. I could do a whole series of sermons just on what Jesus said about the next life. But I'm going to sum up his teaching today in just three statements. And the first is this. Jesus was clear that everybody will be raised and judged. Physical death ends no one's existence. Every human being will be raised from the grave. And has a court date in the future. And there will be no excused absences. Today, if you have enough money or influence, you can put off your date in court. But not this date. Everybody will be raised and judged. Look at what Jesus said in John 5. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out those who've done good will rise to live and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned see jesus told many parables that emphasize that the future age is going to be inaugurated by an universal judging and so you look at the different parables of jesus there's the sheep and the goats the good fish and the bad fish the wheat And the tares, the foolish virgins, and the wise virgins. There's going to come a great judging to inaugurate the next age. And not only did Jesus say that's coming, but he says there's not going to be a third group. You're either in this group or that, and a lot of people are going to be shocked at the verdict that day. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I mentioned at our Wednesday night service a few weeks ago, that that afternoon our water heater had exploded in our attic and caused a lot of problems. And I had said a few days later, life could not have any more hassles than it currently has. Well, I was wrong. (laughs) Two weeks ago today, my wife got a call from a frustrated Tom Thumb employee wondering why our check had bounced. And when were we going to pay for the groceries we had bought? My wife informed the employee that we don't shop at that store, that we don't bank at that bank, and they've made a mistake. 
Well, you can guess where this is going. On Monday, bill collectors began to call. We began to get a lot of notices in the mail from collection agencies. And we are the victims of identity theft. And all over the Metroplex in the last uh, few weeks, someone using my name and driver's license number has written thousands of dollars in checks pretending to be me. Well, while I'm not obligated for the expenses, obviously, it is an amazingly difficult hassle to fill all the paperwork out to try to clear your name and your credit rating. I hope the person who has done this is caught and stands before a judge and the judge will say, you are guilty of wearing a name you had no right to wear and pretending to be who you are not. But the fact is that may never happen, at least not in this life. But Jesus says in the life to come, we'll stand before a judge who knows who we are. And some are going to be shocked that day when the judge says, you wore a name you had no right to wear. You pretended to be somebody. You really weren't. On that day, the judgment will be fair and it will be clear. And not everybody will go to heaven. But anybody can. Because the second thing Jesus was clear about was that anybody who trusts him will be welcomed into heaven. See, Jesus' view on life after death was controversial, but it was consistent. He never wavered. He said, your eternal destiny hinges on your relationship to me. In John 6, 40, Jesus said, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. You see, the great question on the day of judging will not be, How much did you sin? That's the mistake most people make. Two weeks ago, I preached a message called, Get Off the Scales. Where I tried to explain why being good is not good enough to get you to heaven. If you were not here, and if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, I beg you to listen to that tape. Go up to our tape room, get a CD of that message. I'll pay for it. You just tell them that I said to go get it. I want you to understand, nobody goes to heaven because they're good enough. The question on the great day of judging will not be, how much did you sin? The question will be, how much did you trust God's answer for your sin? Jesus said in John 8, 24, Unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you will die. In your sins. Maybe the best known verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Look at it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that everyone who believes in him. Will not perish but have eternal life. Listen. God loves the whole world. But only believers. Go to heaven. Only people that believe 
that Jesus is the Son of God, have eternal life. So the question is, how much do you trust Jesus? He said in John 14, don't be troubled. You trust God. Now trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. Now we're going to talk a lot more in future Sundays about what heaven will be like. But Jesus gives us some clues. You know, there was a great Christian song a few years ago that I love called, I Can Only Imagine. But I want you to know, when it comes to heaven, you can do more than only imagine. We have some very clear indicators of what our next home will be like. Jesus said there are many rooms. In other words, heaven is a place of community. It's a place of fellowship. You know, people sometimes say, well, I don't want to come to your church because it's a big church and I just don't like being around lots of people. What are you going to do to get to heaven? (laughs) You need to get used to worshiping with lots of people because heaven is a place of many rooms. It's got a place of rich fellowship and rich friendship. Not only that, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a place, a concrete place. You're going to be raised a physical, tangible body, and you're going to live in a place. And I'll tell you more about that in future Sundays. Hollywood has done us no favor here. Because every time Hollywood makes a movie about heaven, heaven looks like a fog bank. You're not going to live in a fog bank. You're not going to live on a cloud, and you're not going to have wings, okay? You're going to have a resurrected body, and you're going to live in a place, And he says, I'm coming for you. Heaven is a place of unique identity. He's coming for you. We are not going to be genderless clones in heaven. He wants you, your personality, your uniquenesses, the things that make you, you. It's what Jesus is taking to heaven. And then he says, I'm coming for you so that you can live with me. The most important thing to know about heaven is that it's going to be a place of unlimited capacity and opportunity to fellowship with God. Isn't that what you want the most? Do you know that's what you were made for? Do you remember, and way deep down in your heart you do, there was a time once when God would walk with man in the garden that's how close they were and there's something deep in the soul of every person that yearns for that there's a neat story about a little boy in a park and he's flying a kite on a real cloudy day and it's up there very high and a man comes up What you doing, little boy? I'm flying my kite and looks up. Can't even see it. How do you know it's there? And the little boy said, I can feel the tug. 
That's how I know heaven's real. I can feel the tug of it. Deep in my soul, I know I was made for more than this. And the older I get, the more I feel the tug. And Jesus said, anybody who trusts me will be welcomed into heaven. It's the most inclusive invitation ever offered, but also the most exclusive. Because he said a few verses later in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. All dogs do not go to heaven. All roads do not lead to the same place. Jesus said, your eternal destiny hinges on what you think about me. And so, the third thing he was clear about was that nobody who rejects him will escape eternal hell. In one of those stories he told about the sheep and the goats, He said in Matthew 25, the judge will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible? And I think the reason for that is this. Jesus knew, unlike anyone else who ever talked about it, what God-forsakenness was. Jesus is an expert on hell. Because he's been there and done that. And he used three metaphors over and over to describe hell. One of them was darkness. And the meaning of that metaphor is that hell is going to be a place of total isolation. One of the most asinine things I hear skeptics say is, well, when we all get to hell, we'll just have a big party. No, you won't, because if you get to hell, you won't know anybody else is there. Hell is a place of eternal loneliness of the soul. And he used the metaphor of fire. And we can debate in another sermon if that's literal or not, but I do know this you're going to have a literal physical body when you're raised, wherever you spend eternity. The point of the metaphor is hell will be a place of discomfort. And he used the metaphor of gnashing of teeth. And that's a sign of self-reproach and remorse. Do you know when you're driving too fast and you look in your mirror and you see the lights flashing and you go, ugh. Or you take a test and you miss a couple of questions that you should have got and you get a bad grade and you go, oh, Hell will be a place of eternal remorse where you regret the life you should have lived and can't ever live again. And some of you are thinking, 
Well, I just don't think the God I worship would send people to a place like that. And I'm going to contend that the God I worship, the God of love, must, must prepare a place called hell. Max Licato writes, How could a loving God send people to hell? That's a commonly asked question. The question itself reveals a couple of misconceptions. First, God does not send people to hell. He simply honors their choice. Hell is the ultimate expression of God's high regard for the dignity of man. He has never forced us to choose Him. Even when that means we could choose hell. As C.S. Lewis stated, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. In another book, Lewis said it this way, I willingly believe the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, and that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. No, God does not send people to hell, nor does He send people to hell. That's the second misconception. The word people is neutral, implying innocence. Nowhere does Scripture teach that innocent people are condemned. People do not go to hell. Sinners do. The rebellious do. The self-centered do. So how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He simply honors the choice of sinners. Listen. If God forced you to love Him, He would be less than love. And so, if you want to keep your distance from God, if you want to go through your life with God at arm's length, and if you want to live a life that says, God, I need my space, don't get too close, then on the great day of judging, God will honor your choice for eternity. It really is your choice. What will you do with Jesus? They tell a great story about Calvin Coolidge. When he was vice president, he was presiding one day over the Senate. Two senators got into a heated exchange and one said to the other, you can go straight to hell. And the offended senator turned to Coolidge and said, did you hear that? He just told me to go to hell. And Coolidge looked up and pointed to the Bible he was holding in his hand and said, Well, I've been reading the rule book, and it says you don't have to go. You don't have to go. You see, this is clear and sure. No one in hell will say, God, put me here. God put hell on His Son so that you would not have to go. It's not so much that people get cast into hell, 
But they get there on their own when they walk by the cross that God put in the way to keep them out of hell. You see, your sin will get judged. But God has granted you the dignity to choose where. You can choose to have your sin judged on the cross in the person of the substitute Jesus. Or you can choose to have your sin judged in hell. But God gives you that choice. And if you choose hell, you will not spend eternity blaming God, but yourself. No one in hell will say, God put me here. And no one in heaven will say, I put myself here. Our first glimpse of God His holiness, His purity, His righteousness will put us on our knees with an eternal gratitude that this God would make a way for sinners to go to heaven. It is amazing grace That will take us to that amazing place. And it is an amazing place. And I look forward to learning more about it with you in the weeks ahead. And you know some of you might be disappointed this morning. I thought. I thought we were going to talk about heaven. We will. But what does it matter. If you're right. About heaven. And wrong about Jesus. The first thing is to decide He's the Son of God and to let Him be your Lord and Savior. And so I take you back to the story we started with. Dr. Graham, after he told that luncheon group in Charlotte, North Carolina about Dr. Einstein, said this, Now, did you notice the new suit I am wearing? My family tells me I have gotten a bit slovenly in my later years. And so I went and bought a new suit for this special occasion. I will only wear this suit one more time. This is the suit they will bury me in. And should you see me again in this suit, you can know this, that I know who I am, and I know where I am going. Don't you leave today if you can't answer those questions. Our elders and ministers are going to be in room 109 to pray with people today. Please go see them if you have a burden. And I'm going to be down front because I believe right here, right now, is somebody 
who has not confessed Jesus as Son of God and had your sin judged on the cross and you need to come, confess His name, be baptized into His death and resurrection, you need to choose Jesus so that heaven can choose you. If you can say, Jesus is mine, then you have blessed assurance. Let's stand up and sing.